The good news is there are a range of uh, good ideas and proposals out there. There's no question in our minds that these packages will have a historic impact on addressing our climate crisis. Will they? Are you sure? Are you sure there's no question? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Because I got questions. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, I a week or so ago... And really, uh, for the past several months, many of us who are very concerned about our quickly worsening climate crisis have been cautiously, perhaps very cautiously, perhaps even too cautiously, optimistic as congressional Democrats and the White House struggled through negotiations over President Biden's Build Back Better bill. In addition to a long overdue generational expansion of health care, education, child tax credits and family leave programs, it also contained arguably the first real effort by the U.S. federal government to directly tackle man-made climate change and the out-of-control fossil fuel emissions that are causing it. The centerpiece of that effort in the Build Back Better bill was the Clean Energy Performance Program, or CEPP, crafted to offer financial incentives directly to utility companies to quickly move their energy production from dirty fossil fuels that are worsening the climate crisis to clean, renewable, carbon-free energy sources which do not. The plan was at the heart of President Biden's vow to cut greenhouse gas emissions from the electricity sector by 80 percent over 2005 levels by 2030 to get to net zero emissions in the sector by 2035 and finally to net zero economy wide in the U.S. by 2050. 
An ambitious agenda, to be sure, even as some climate scientists warn that even that won't be enough to avoid the very worst impacts of climate change. But it was a start, and after decades of inaction in this country, arguably a big start that had many of us encouraged if cautiously so. The idea of the CEPP, as we discussed on this show some months ago with the great environmental and energy journalist David Roberts, was that by cleaning up the electricity sector and moving two of the other biggest polluting sectors, transportation and buildings, to a clean electricity grid, we would be able to reduce dangerous emissions from the burning of fossil fuels by a huge amount as incentives to move to electric vehicles and to electrify buildings were also built into the Biden agenda moving forward. Last month, UC Santa Barbara's political scientist and climate researcher Dr. Leah Stokes testified before Congress to the Joint Economic Committee on the imperative of electrifying the nation's buildings. After decades of inaction on our climate crisis, which, as she noted to lawmakers, resulted last year in, quote, 22 separate billion dollar climate and weather disasters, which cost us nearly half a trillion dollars. The cost in lives and the health of Americans, to some extent, is immeasurable. The cost to the economy, however, might get the attention of lawmakers. And as we recently noted on one of our Green News reports, billion-dollar weather and climate disasters this year are already outpacing last year. At the end of Dr. Stokes's opening statement to the uh, committee in Congress, she added this personal thought on what she described as a, quote, pivotal moment in history. I'd like to close by sharing something personal. I have two newborn babies that are two months old at home right now. And I have left them to come here and speak with all of you because I know the urgency of this moment. I'm here not just to speak on behalf of my newborn children, but on behalf of all the children in the United States. I'm also here to speak on behalf of young people who are deeply fearful about what their future holds. And quite frankly, I'm here to speak on behalf of all of us because we are already seeing what climate change is doing to the places and the people we cherish most. This is a pivotal moment in history. The world is watching. Either Congress will pass a bold climate investment package this fall, or we will lose the last best opportunity we have and wait another decade. We don't have any more decades left to waste to act on the climate crisis. Thank you. The last best opportunity. Last month, when she testified, Dr. Stokes, many of us, as noted, were cautiously optimistic that a transformative change was about to happen with the passage of the president's Build Back Better initiatives. But for many, that optimism came to a crashing halt late last Friday night when The New York Times reported their scoop that, quote, the most powerful part of President Biden's climate agenda, a program to rapidly replace the nation's coal and gas fired power plants with wind, solar and nuclear energy, will likely be dropped from the massive budget bill pending in Congress, according to congressional staffers and lobbyists familiar with the matter. That, as the Times reported, was thanks to Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from coal-rich West Virginia, whose vote is crucial to passage of the bill and who has reportedly told the White House that he strongly opposes the clean electricity program. 
As a result, notes the Times and others have since confirmed, White House staffers are now rewriting the legislation without that climate provision and are trying to cobble together a mix of other policies that could also cut emissions. They quoted a White House spokesperson promising, quote, the White House is laser focused on advancing the president's climate goals and positioning the U.S. to meet its emissions targets in a way that grows domestic industries and good jobs. Of course, that was the hope of the clean electricity performance plan. So is any of that now really possible without the CEPP? At this point, as President Biden and a huge contingent of cabinet secretaries and even former President Obama are now set to descend upon Glasgow, Scotland in about two weeks for the latest and arguably most critical U.N. climate summit since the signing of the Paris Climate Accord in 2015 and as the U.S. is pushing the rest of the world to do what, at least for the moment, the U.S. itself still seems incapable of doing here at home. Joining us now to discuss this entire fine mess is Dr. Leah Stokes, Associate Professor of Political Science at UC Santa Barbara, where she researches climate and energy politics, renewable energy, water and chemicals policy at the Bren School of Environment, Environmental Science and Management. She's also the author of Short Circuiting Policy, Interest Groups and the Battle Over Clean Energy and Climate Policy in the American States. Yeah, that title sounds about right today, unfortunately. Dr. Stokes, welcome back to the broadcast. Congratulations on your two newborns, and thank you for taking a few minutes away from them to join us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, there's a million things I want to cover with you, but uh, before we get into uh, the politics of this mess, I suspect you're now being forced to deal firsthand with the cost of climate change in Santa Barbara there, where the Alisal fire has been uh, out of control for the last week or so. Is that any closer to coming under containment? And are you and the babies out of harm's way from the, from the smoke, et cetera, from that fire? Yes, it was definitely um, a bit of tragic symbolism that uh, when the news was breaking that Manchin would not go for the most important part of the climate package, uh, that we had a fire once again in Santa Barbara burning away. Um, you know, definitely the air quality was not great for a few days, but um, they've really managed to get that fire under control, and I think it's about 87% contained mm. by the last um, update. So that's good news. It's really only just a few miles away from Santa Barbara where it's burning, mm -hmm. um, but thankfully it seems to be under control now. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to start with some good news. I don't know how the rest of this is going to go in that regard, but we'll take it. Uh, and again, uh, before the politics here, I want to cite your important congressional testimony on a topic that I think is not really well understood by the American people in general. Ostensibly, you detailed the necessity of electrifying buildings, moving them from sources of polluting, dirty energy to clean renew renewables that run off a uh, hopefully soon much cleaner electric grid. I think folks understand dirty power generation and emissions from, you know, coal and natural gas plants and certainly the huge amount of dirty fossil fuels currently burned in the transportation sector. I'm not sure if they understand or appreciate the various costs in both health and to the economy 
to our actual homes and office buildings in this country and the benefits of electrifying them. Can you sort of explain that concern and those benefits in a in a nutshell as you uh, testified recently to the Joint Ec- uh, Economic Committee in Congress so folks understand what needs to be done here and what is at stake in that sector? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people might not realize that they use fossil fuels in their home every day. When you turn on a gas-powered stove, that's fossil gas. When you use uh, a dryer to dry your clothes, oftentimes if it's a gas-powered dryer, that means you're using fossil fuels. Your furnace is also burning fossil fuels. And so what we need to do is as we confront the climate crisis, we need to get gas out of our homes. And the really good news is that not only is it um, much better for your health not to be burning fossil fuels in your home, it's also better technology. There are new electric stoves called induction stoves. They Mm -hmm. basically use magnets, and they're really amazing technology. They work way better than gas, much safer when it comes to indoor air pollution that can cause asthma. And there's also something called a heat pump, which is a technology that not only heats your house, but can also cool it. And as we have more and more climate impacts and people are dealing with global warming, meaning that it's warmer Mm -hmm. across the country, it makes sense for more people to get air conditioning. So what people can do is buy an induction stove, get a heat pump, and remove Uh, fossil fuels from their homes through electrification. And that's really important because it turns out that um, children growing up in a home with a gas stove have a 42% increased chance of having asthma. There's a lot of very, yes, there's a lot of very big health impacts from using gas stoves, gas furnaces that we've kind of overlooked. But people are starting to understand that we need to be using electric technologies and they don't have to be crappy electric coils so <laughs> they could be really amazing induction stoves. now all of that of course is very expensive uh you know to move from uh, a gas dryer to an electric uh, same with the stove is uh, are there provisions for that sort of thing in the uh, in in the biden agenda at this point or is that something that's more uh, down the line uh in the future or is it just a matter of you know when it comes to new homes and new buildings uh putting in uh, you know regulations to require that sort of equipment instead of uh, fossil fuel-based equipment? Yeah, so in the Build Back Better Act, there are investments to help people transition and switch out um, gas stoves and gas furnaces for these kinds of new technologies, Mm -hmm. induction stoves, heat pumps, etc. So uh, Senator Heinrich from New Mexico has been leading an effort uh, to pass that as part of the uh, Build Back Better Act. Mm-hmm. And were that policy to make it through Congress, it would deliver uh, some help for people to change to these kinds of new, cleaner technologies. In addition, cities across California and even across the country have been adopting building codes so that for new buildings, we stop putting in gas appliances, furnaces, and stoves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Santa Barbara um, City recently adopted a new building code that would not allow gas appliances to be put into into new buildings. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we're working on, and it's everything from local cities making a difference 
to really big federal dollars going towards electrification of our buildings. And I should note that uh, in your testimony, you talked about how electrifying buildings will, in fact, create all sorts of jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. But but in your uh, comments there, Leah, uh, you, you, you said, were that to make it through Congress? I feel like that phrase uh, may be doing a lot of work uh, in that explanation. <laughs> if the reports are accurate, that Joe Manchin is simply objecting to the pretty much the entirety of the clean energy performance uh, uh, program, uh, you know, to move the electric grid to clean energy, how much of that program to clean up buildings in the U.S. Uh, would also now be imperiled, as you understand it? Well, the Build Back Better Act is a really important piece of legislation that does not just target uh, climate investments, but other really important social policies like health care support, mm-hmm. health care support, all these different social policies that we need. So it's a really important package. Mm-hmm. Within that package, there was supposed to be um, a big chunk, $670 billion for climate investments. That mm-hmm. would be the biggest investment we have ever made in climate action. Now, unfortunately, $150 billion of that money, about 25% of it, was going to be for the Clean Electricity Performance Program. Mm-hmm. And uh, as of Friday, there's been reporting that Senator Manchin is not going to go for that program. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how can we ensure that we're still spending that $670 billion? How can we make sure that we have every dollar for climate spending and we go and try to find every single ton of carbon pollution that we can cut? So the building sector is a really important area, and there's actually additional things that Congress could do go even farther than what the current legislative text says in the Build Back Better Act. Uh-huh. So there are discussions right now about how can we move the needle and, you know, make sure that we preserve every dollar of climate spending and as many carbon pollution cuts as we can. Because the fact is that the Clean Electricity Performance Program was going to deliver about one-third of the carbon um, pollution cuts in the package, mm-hmm. and it was about a quarter of the spending. So that's a big hole that it's leaving behind. And the question is, how do we fill that hole? How are we going to get that spending out the door? And how are we going to make sure we cut as much carbon pollution as possible? And the question is, if Joe Manchin will allow any of that, we'll get to that in a second, and to some of the alternatives. But, uh, you know, just to respond to what seems to be Manchin's complaint here about the uh, CEPP, uh, Manchin claims that, you know, moving from fossil fuels to renewables and, and mind you, I don't believe a single thing he has to say on any of this because it it all seems to be about his personal interests as opposed to either the planets or the countries or even his West Virginia constituents. But his public argument anyway is that anything that moves us from dirty energy to clean energy would, in his words, potentially jeopardize America's energy independence. That seems to be a slogan he's using. Is there anything even close to true uh, about that concern? Well, the fact is that we want the United States to be competitive globally. We want to have jobs in this country. And clean energy is really the future. That's where we're going to have jobs all around the world. And we want the United States to be at the forefront of that. We want to have innovation. We want to have job creation right here. Mm -hmm. And that means we really need to stop continuing to invest in the dirty 
industries of the past and start investing in the clean energy future. Um, so that's really the vision that President Biden has put forward in the Build Back Better Act, and we need to make sure that he delivers on that vision, which means we actually need every dollar of spending. We mm-hmm. can't let uh, Joe Manchin cut 25% of the spending unilaterally, and we need every single pollution cut we can find. He can't just cut the third of those pollution cuts, and we all say, oh, well, that's fine. Because the thing about climate change is that we actually have to take it on at the scale that it's necessary. Uh, we can't, you know, say, well, we did two-thirds of it, and that was good enough. We have to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. That's what scientists have told us we've got to do. And that means we have to cut carbon pollution by 50% this decade. That's what President Biden has pledged to do. But unless we fill the hole left by the Clean Electricity Performance Program, uh, we're not going to deliver on that pledge that uh, President Biden has put forward. But to, uh, to, to press this point a little bit, he and, of course, the folks over at Fox News suggest that somehow moving to renewable energy jeopardizes what they call America's energy independence. Now, it seems to me that if you replace, uh, you know, the same amount of power generation uh, that you currently create with coal and you replace it with wind or solar or something like that, I'm not sure how that jeopardizes America's energy independence, which is why I'm wondering, is there any legitimacy to uh, to that claim, to his claim? No, I don't think that there's an issue of energy independence here. The United States is an extremely energy-rich nation, and it's not just energy-rich in fossil fuels, the mm-hmm. kind of energy sources of the past. Mm-hmm. It's extremely energy-rich in wind and solar and hydropower even, right? We have a lot of resources that we can be using in the United States in clean energy. We don't have to be relying on dirty energy. Now, the other point that he makes uh, is that private utility companies are already moving to clean energy, he suggests, so that, you know, government help or encouragement or mandates or penalties for not doing so, that the carrots and sticks uh, to the uh, CEPP, for example, that those are not needed to encourage private industry to do what he claims they are already doing without government encouragement. Is that true? Unfortunately, we are not moving fast enough on clean energy. And by fast enough, I mean at the pace that's necessary to avoid catastrophic climate change. Right now, the very best year we've had for clean energy was last year in 2020, and we added 2.3 percentage points to the grid of clean power. Hmm. What the Clean Electricity Performance Program would have done is put a requirement that we had to hit four percentage points every single year. So that's much more than the 2.3%. Mm-hmm. And if we want to be getting to 80% clean by 2030, which is directly on the pathway to 100% clean by 2035, which was President Biden's campaign goal, we need to be adding between 4 to 5% of clean power every single year. So no, we are moving at about half of the pace that is necessary. And without federal investments, we're just not going to move fast enough. On Monday, the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tried to sort of put an optimistic spin on this disappointing news that uh, came out on Friday, telling reporters that uh, the White House and congressional Democrats are developing additional alternate pathways 
uh, to meet their same net zero emissions goals, regardless of whether the clean electricity performance plan is included uh, in the Build Back Better bill. Here was Saki on Monday. The good news is there are a range of uh, good ideas and proposals out there from uh, members of Congress about how this legislation can help meet that goal. Uh, and there's no question in our minds, there's important uh, lit debating right now happening about what the components of the climate uh, proposals will be in these packages, that this these packages will have a historic impact on addressing our climate crisis. So uh, she sort of uh, put a happy face on this. I, do you share her happy face about the possibility of the various alternatives that are now being floated uh, to replace or somehow adapt the clean uh, energy performance plan, whether it's, uh, you know, a, 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 a carbon tax or new regulations and so forth? Uh, I, I Well, I'll give you my thoughts in a second, but uh, are, are you quite as optimistic as she seemed to be on Monday? Look, the Clean Electricity Performance Program was a really signature part of the package. It was really the heart of the bill when it came to cutting carbon. But, you know, it delivered around uh, a third of the carbon pollution cuts. And the question is, what are the other ideas that we have to get those cuts? And uh, there are other ideas, like she was saying, and that is being discussed very much right now. But I think what the White House needs to understand and what the congressional leadership needs to understand is that in order to get those pollution cuts, we need the money that was supposed to go to the Clean Electricity Performance Program. The $150 billion, which was about 25% of the carbon-cutting uh, investments in this package, that has got to go towards other programs. We can't say, well, we're going to magically find all these ways to cut carbon pollution for free. No, we need to have investments at the scale of the crisis. And there can be other ways to cut carbon pollution. Um, there are certainly discussions happening uh, about how to do that, but they need to have real investments behind them. We cannot cut a dollar of the climate spending. And that's what I'm concerned about, because frankly, you know, I wonder if there is any more reason to believe Joe Manchin would accept any of these other alternatives, to be frank. Uh, you know, he, he claims he had reasons that he doesn't like the CEPP. But, you know, I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that absolutely nothing. Uh, will please Joe Manchin uh, and that any objections he puts forward to anything uh, basically that moves us away from fossil fuels is something that, you know, is, you, listen, he makes millions of dollars uh, in both his personal pockets and his campaign coffers from the fossil fuel industry. Do you have hope that he would find any of these alternatives any more acceptable? Well, it's important to remember that the package still has two-thirds of those pollution cuts in it right now, right? So we still have good pollution cuts. How are we going to find the next one-third of the pollution cuts? That's really the question that is on my mind and is on the mind of congressional leadership and, you know, those in the White House that are focused on the climate issue. I think that Senator Manchin will accept some ideas because we currently have two-thirds of that package. We need to make sure that he says yes to those first two-thirds of the package, <laughs> and know. we need to make sure we find another one-third. So it's not a simple situation. But let's remember that there are 50 Democratic senators, right, not just one. And he has been uh, leading the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which is another package that has been kind of held up 
mm-hmm. while the Build Back Better Act gets finalized. And it's really important that the mansion policy, the bipartisan infrastructure deal, does not get approved before the Build Back Better Act because we need to continue to have pressure to do both of these investments because the climate policies are really in the Build Back Better Act. So it's not um, the easiest thing by any means, but there are ways that we can make meaningful progress on the climate issue, and we've got to keep the pressure up on congressional leadership and on the White House to fill the hole left by the Clean Electricity Performance Program. I started out this uh, segment mentioning the uh, cautious optimism of uh, climate folks like like yourself, like me, uh, that we had uh, you know a couple of weeks ago. You argued in your testimony that the uh, Build Back Better bill is, in fact, uh, your congressional testimony that it's, uh, in fact, the last best opportunity that we have to change the trajectory of our climate emergency. I've always found you to be wildly positive and an, an encouraging voice in this battle. Uh, do, you, uh, do you still have that optimism today? And is that something that can possibly translate uh, next month to, to Glasgow as, uh, you know, we seem to be mired in, uh, in, in a political fight, even as we're asking the rest of the world to make changes that we're having trouble doing ourselves. Look, climate policy is never easy. Uh, folks have been trying to do this for more than 30 years, and they have struggled and failed because the fossil fuel industry has captured uh, many members of Congress, notably the Republican Party. <laughs> and so... It's really hard to do, but we are closer than we have ever been to passing a transformative climate bill in the Build Back Better Act. What we need now from the White House and from congressional leadership is to get it over the finish line and to clean up the mess left by, you know, removing the Clean Electricity Performance Program at the 11th hour. That's really what we need. So people should not lose hope. They should not feel like this is not a meaningful package that we're not going to deliver on climate. We are. We just need to make sure that the White House does not cut a dollar of spending and that they make sure they're going to make up for that lost pollution cuts from removing the Clean Electricity Performance Program. So do not lose hope. This is a really transformative bill. It's very close to passage, and people should keep the pressure up. And if those listening want to get involved, there's a website called call the number four climate.com call for climate.com and it uh it has a phone number and it will just patch you directly through to your representatives and your senators give you a script for what to ask for um and that's the way you can get involved in this moment so despair is not an option we have to fight for a transformative climate bill and congress needs to hear from people that that's what they want right now Thank you. You've uh, I'm I'm still hanging on to the edge of the bridge, but I'm not going to jump off of it yet. Thanks to you, uh, Dr. Leah Stokes. And that uh, that uh, ad, that website again is call the number four climate call for climate dot com. You can, of course, find out more about Leah Stokes at her website, leahstokes.com. You can find her on the Twitters at Leah Stokes. She is an associate professor of political science at UC Santa Barbara and a research a researcher on climate and energy politics. Uh, and uh, your voice is very important, uh, Leah. Really appreciate you joining us today again on the broadcast, even amidst fire and new babies and everything else. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for having me on. You bet. Thank you. Okay, well, Desi Doyen, <laughs> despair 
is not an option, says Dr. Stokes. She's she's absolutely correct because, you know, as we know, despair gets absolutely nothing done. And we really do have to get things done here. So, uh, But I've got a lot of despair. I don't <laughs> I know. know. After Friday, that well, was kind of rough. I know, but that's what you got to do. You got to take that despair and transform it into action. You know, for example, with her call, the number four, callforclimate.com uh, uh, tool that's available now. But also, I wanted to point out that yeah. uh, the great environment Environmental writer Bill McKibben yeah. uh, wrote an article about Joe Manchin's recalcitrance and trying to prevent this from happening. And he said, listen, no matter what happens, even if the clean electricity performance plan does not make it into the bill, there are two trends that are now happening right now that are unstoppable and that give him hope. And he said that's the uh, renewable energy. Clean energy is uh, taking over and it is now an inevitable transition that cannot be halted. Much as Joe Manchin says, why do we need to help out? <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing it anyway. Well, of course, he says that, and he's lying because it's not happening fast enough. But uh-huh. it is happening, and Republicans and Joe Manchin cannot stop it now. So that's one thing that gives Bill McKibben hope. Another thing that gives Bill McKibben hope is the citizens' climate movement, from Greta Thunberg and all the teenagers that are out there fighting for their future to all of their parents and grandparents and basically everybody who is now getting on board with the push to make this happen. It sounds to me a lot like the civil rights movement. I mean, there are many, many times when I'm sure the the, the icons of the civil rights movement and all the people that were involved wanted to give up, and they didn't. And it took a lot of time and a lot of pressure, but they made it happen. It's a fight that has to continue, but it happened. So in that respect, I think that is where you can take your inspiration from. Do not stop fighting. Okay. Well, I'm I'm still hanging from the bridge, Destoyan. <laughs> and I know you're coming back with a little bit more on this in our Green News Report a little bit yes. later. I'm sure that'll cheer me up and <laughs> not make me want to jump off at all. Uh, we will look forward to that uh, shortly. Let's uh, take a quick break here and we will uh, hit uh, some politics today. A lot of stuff going on. Trying to figure out what to make of it all, as usual, <laughs> right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Jerry. Yes. Why are we playing that? <laughs> Why are we playing that? Well, you'll find out in a moment. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, if only because it cheers me up. That, that's <laughs> cause enough. Uh, listen, by the way, I've been getting a, a lot of responses from folks regarding my argument that Democrats should, in states where they can, gerrymander the hell out of them for partisan advantage that despite the fact that the argument frankly cuts against my own long-held beliefs and positions as a nonpartisan election integrity voting rights and democracy advocate uh, but I've been making that argument over the past few days and I should tell you that most though not all of the incoming responses have been in favor of, yes, Democrats pushing back against the GOP assault on American democracy. Really? Yep. Mm. And the uh, outrageously extreme partisan gerrymandering that they're doing, that they have been doing since 2010, and are now doing even more so now that the Supreme Court has freed them 
from uh, federal preclearance requirements that were once built into the Voting Rights Act uh, that had kept many states from the most extreme gerrymandering. Uh, but now all bets are off for many of those states and with Republicans building an authoritarian plan to use Congress to out and out steal the 2024 presidential election, no matter who actually wins it. Yes, I am calling for Democrats to fight back, not to save Democrats or the Democratic Party, but to save democracy through legal, constitutional, if frankly appalling Partisan gerrymanders in uh, in states where they can do so. Anyway, I'll try to share some of the incoming thoughts from listeners emailed to me via Bradcast at Bradblog.com or in uh, in comments at the Bradblog, etc. later this week, if time allows. But very quickly, in a bit of uh, red meat here today, Des, between uh, today's two green news related segments. Yes. A red meat sandwich on green <laughs> bread, if you will. <laughs> Okay. Sounds delicious. Indeed. Uh, we have we've reported in recent months on either five or six. I actually lost track. Uh, right wing talk radio hosts who opposed vaccines, who described COVID as a hoax, before then dying from COVID related illnesses. Well, now we have another, a very well known one nationally, who is not dead, but who announced on Monday that yes. He, too, is sick from the virus, but he is standing by all of his wingnut anti-science positions anyway. Uh, here is uh, Dennis Prager, who, by the way, advertises his own Prager University. Yes, Dennis Prager is considered to be one of the one of the intellectual right wing <laughs> such as it is radio talk show hosts. Yes. Uh, anyway, here he is announcing his illness on Monday. And when you hear some of these moments of silence in here. Uh, that's in the original audio. That is almost certainly Prager hitting his cough button that many radio hosts have. You can see him do it on the video. Okay, everybody. All good. I'm broadcasting from my home because I'm not going into the station as I have COVID. I came, uh, I was tested positive last week and... I have been uh, steadily improving. At no point was I in danger of hospitalization. I have uh, received monoclonal antibodies. That's Regeneron. I have, of course, for years, a year and a half, not years, been taking hydroxychloroquine from the beginning with zinc. I've taken ZPAC, the erythromycin, as the Zelenko protocol would have it. I have taken ivermectin. Zelenko protocol. I have done what a person should do. Horse medicine. If one is not going to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. It is infinitely preferable to have natural immunity than vaccine immunity. And that is what I hoped for the entire time. Oh. Hence, I so uh, engaged with strangers, constantly hugging them, taking photos with them, knowing that I was in making myself very susceptible to getting COVID which is indeed as bizarre as it sounded 
what I wanted mm -hmm. in the hope that I would achieve natural immunity and be taken care of by therapeutics. That is exactly what has happened. It should have happened to the great majority of Americans. The number of deaths in this country uh, ow owing to COVID is a scandal, which one day will be clear uh, to Americans. So uh, Dennis Prager there has COVID and uh, is using the, the Pee Wee Herman excuse. <laughs> he, he meant to do that. That's yep. what he wanted all along. Really, Dennis? Then why did you take hydro uh, hydroxychloroquine to prevent catching COVID if what you really meant was to catch COVID? That's what he meant all along. It is that kind of crap and his, you know, oh, every American should be taking hydro hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which is a horse dewormer medicine. That's what we should all do. We should all get the, the virus because that's a much better uh, antibodies against COVID getting the virus i know it's it's kind of crazy to think that he's actually advocating that everyone in america should try to get covid and risk their own death risk getting long covid in order to prevent them from getting covid which of course makes zero sense risking their own family's health risking the health of every single human being they come into contact with to get covid in order to not get covid and definitely to never ever get the vaccine and uh, his his claim that the uh, death count is a scandal in this country. It is a scandal, not necessarily for the reasons I suspect he is arguing. I guess he's going to argue that, uh, oh, those more than now 700,000 dead from COVID in the U.S. aren't really dead from COVID. It's something else entirely, or it's the CDC lying about it, or that evil Dr. Fauci making things up. Anyway, it is that kind of crap. You know, and, and the now hundreds of thousands unnecessarily dead from COVID in the U.S. Uh, that I have long said that Donald Trump should should be held accountable for. Uh, for his failure as president to take appropriate action, whether it's uh, he should be held accountable, whether it's via crimes against humanity, genocide. I don't know the charges, but it is remarkable to me that a president of the United States can oversee the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans. Many arguably due to his own failures and blatant misinformation to the public repeated by idiots like uh, Dennis Prager there, again, the smart right-wing talk show radio host, and yet still face no accountability for it. Well, that brings me uh, to this story just in this afternoon from the New York Times and the reason why we played that bumper music at the top of this episode. This is about Brazil's own Donald Trump, their own president, Jair Bolsonaro. From the Times, a Brazilian congressional panel is set to recommend mass homicide charges against President Jair Bolsonaro, asserting that he intentionally let the coronavirus rip through the country and kill hundreds of thousands in a failed bid to achieve herd immunity and revive Latin America's largest economy. Well, that sounds familiar for some reason. A report from the Congressional Panel's investigation, excerpts which were viewed by the New York Times ahead of its scheduled release this week, also recommend criminal charges against 69 other people, including three of Bolsonaro's sons 
and numerous current and former government officials. Why am I jealous today of Brazil? <laughs> it is, at best, uncertain whether the report from the 11-member panel, seven of them who are opponents of Bolsonaro, will lead to any actual criminal charges given the political realities of the country. But hey, at least they've got people still in office willing to try to do the right thing and to do so out loud. In deeply polarized Brazil, the time note, Times notes the report reflects the depths of anger against the leader who refused to take the pandemic seriously. The report may prove a major escalation in the challenges confronting Bolsonaro, who took office in 2019. He faces re-election next year and is suffering uh, failing popularity. The extraordinary accusations appear in a nearly 1,200-page report that effectively blames Bolsonaro's policies for the deaths of more than 300,000 Brazilians. That is half of the nation's total coronavirus death toll. And it urges the Brazilian authorities to imprison the president. Wow. Renan Calheiros, the uh, centrist, centrist Brazilian senator who was the lead author of the report, said in an interview in his office late on Monday, quote, many of these deaths were preventable. I am personally convinced that he is responsible for escalating the slaughter. Boy, can we get this guy in our Congress? And remember, he's the centrist. From the outset of the pandemic, Bolsonaro has gone out of his way to minimize the threat of the virus. <laughs> As countries around the world locked down and his own people began filling hospitals, he encouraged mass gatherings and discouraged masks. Sounds horribly Freak familiar, doesn't freakishly it? Freakishly <laughs> familiar. Those actions and downplaying vaccines, the report argued, amounted to mass homicide. The report's findings culminate a six-month investigation by a special COVID-19 Senate committee that held more than 50 hearings, which became must-see television in Brazil, featuring testimony about bribery kickbacks, disinformation operations. The report also accuses Bolsonaro of, quote, genocide against uh, indigenous groups in the Amazon, where the virus decimated populations, for months after hospitals there ran out of oxygen. The report found that the president had pushed unproven drugs like hydroxychloroquine well after they had been shown to be ineffective for treating COVID-19 and that his administration caused a months-long delay in the distribution of vaccines. Mr. Calheros framed the uh, homicide charge as murder, quote, by omission, meaning that Bolsonaro allowed deaths that he was responsible for preventing. One, by the way, one of the four senators on the committee who support the president is his son, Flavio Bolsonaro. The report uh, that he will vote on next week will recommend criminal charges against him as well. I like this Brazil country. At least for that part. <laughs> yeah. Bolsonaro called the virus, uh, has called uh, the virus, uh, quote, a little flu. <laughs> when he attended a U.N. meeting last month, New York's vaccination rules for restaurants forced him and Brazil's health minister to eat pizza on the sidewalk because Bolsonaro remains 
unvaccinated. Well, that's different. Donald Trump couldn't wait to get that vaccination. He just didn't tell anybody about it. The uh, health minister who he was eating pizza with tested positive for COVID-19 days later. After he himself tested positive last year, Bolsonaro posted a video of himself gulping the anti-malarial uh, drugs hydro hydroxychloroquine, although scientists had warned against it. The Senate committee found Bolsonaro and his allies had systemically pushed unproven drugs instead of practices that worked, such as social distancing and masks. In January, the Brazilian government took down a health app that it had created after researchers found that it nearly always recommended unproven drugs like hydro hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, the antiparasitic uh, drug for animals. So they were forced to take that down after the government's own app was rep uh, recommending these drugs that don't actually work to treat COVID. Bolsonaro's views on the pandemic were amplified by a coordinated network of conservative pundits, social media influence, influencers, and anonymous online profiles who railed against lockdowns and masks, pushed proven, unproven drugs, questioned vaccines, and claimed that Brazil's death count was exaggerated mm. according to the report just as Dennis Prager was suggesting there what a scandal it will be once we find out the real death rates it's fascinating from COVID in this it is fascinating the pretzels that they will twist themselves into because they will do anything they would rather die than admit that hey science and the liberals might be right about something and, well, at least in Brazil, maybe it's got to get through a, a bunch of votes in uh, the, the Congress and everything else. But, hey, at least in Brazil, they are trying to bring accountability for what happened, for what their president did, which, boy, sure sounds a hell of a lot like exactly what our president did in this country. And yet I have not heard a peep out of Congress calling for mass homicide and genocide charges against president of the United States. That's what they ought to be doing instead of this uh, small potatoes stuff that, uh, oh, did he maybe try to overturn an election? No, he tried to steal an election. Throw him in jail for that. And while you're at it, throw him in jail for mass homicide. OK, now I feel better. <laughs> Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, you will. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Um, all right. Well, uh, we usually turn to uh, Desi Doyen at this point in the program to cheer us up with her terrible news about... <laughs> Of course, we got much of that out of the way with Leah Stokes earlier, uh, but no doubt you'll end with something here to cheer us up. 
We'll try. We'll see in our latest Green News Report. Ambitious steps the U.S. president wants to take to tackle climate change head on are under threat from one of his own Democratic Party colleagues. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin throws a hand grenade into Biden's climate agenda. Biden EPA to crack down on PFAS forever chemicals. U.S. could have as many as three million abandoned oil and gas wells. Plus, McDonald's finally decides to offer customers meat-free choices. All of those impossible choices and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And you're about to find out why in another installment of Oops, We Killed the Earth. Yep, that would have been a much better name. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I don't know how long it's been, but it feels like every single story we cover these days has something to do with Joe Manchin. I know, it does. In Washington, the Biden White House is scrambling to craft alternatives to a key climate measure in President Biden's Build Back Better agenda that is opposed by conservative Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of the coal state of West Virginia. That's corporatist Democratic Senator. That's obstructionist Democratic Senator. But... Press on with whatever you're saying there. The Clean Electricity Performance Program, or CEPP, would pay electric utilities to accelerate their switch to renewable energy and fine those that don't, which would help the U.S. achieve 100% zero emissions electricity by 2035. Sounds great. So Manchin wants to kill it, I bet. (laughs) Yep. Without the CEPP, it will be much more difficult for the U.S. to meet that goal and to meet its international emissions pledges under the Paris Climate Agreement. But without Manchin's support, the entire Build Back Better bill won't pass the Senate. Oh, Lord Manchin, what have you done? Manchin's resistance harms his constituents the most. New federal flood data shows that of all of the states in the lower 48, West Virginia is the most exposed to flood damages. Manchin has received more campaign donations from the fossil fuel industry than any other senator and personally profits about half a million dollars a year from his investments in in coal. It's almost as if he cares more about his profits than his voters. In a recent expose by the UK's Channel 4, an ExxonMobil lobbyist boasted that he has Manchin's office on speed dial. Joe Manchin, I talk to his office every week. Um, he is the kingmaker, uh, and, and he's not shy about sort of staking his claim early yeah. and completely changing the debate. So, once again, that's ExxonMobil's top lobbyist, who talks to Manchin's office every week. Yep. Shocking. Now, both EPA Chief Michael Regan and U.S. Special Climate Envoy John Kerry say the U.S. can still meet the goal of cutting emissions in half by 2030 through other executive branch actions that are in the works. Mm -hmm. However, if the climate provisions are stalled or gutted, it will be harder for the U.S. to push other nations to take aggressive steps at the upcoming U.N. Climate Summit in Glasgow in just a few weeks. And it matters because September 2021 was the second hottest September ever recorded globally since record keeping began in the 1880s. That's according to NASA. The last nine Septembers have all been the hottest Septembers on record. And persistent droughts around the world have helped push global food prices to their highest level in 46 years. That's okay. That just means Joe Manchin gets to golf all year round in West Virginia. 
In other news, a new analysis of industry data has calculated that the number of abandoned oil and gas wells in the United States is nearly double previous estimates, finding more than 81,000 documented abandoned wells across the country. And those are the ones we know about. Undocumented orphan wells could boost that total to as high as 3.4 million. Is that a good or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. Why? Orphaned wells are releasing pollutants into the air, water, and soil, including methane, a potent greenhouse gas. But the Biden bill would spend a lot of money to plug up those abandoned wells, no? Yes, but it has to pass first. Oh, yeah. The Biden EPA announced Monday a three-year initiative to regulate toxic forever chemicals in America's drinking water that pose health risks to nearly all Americans. The class of chemicals known as PFAS, for short, are used in a vast array of industrial processes and consumer products and do not break down in the environment, thus the name forever chemicals. PFAS chemicals are now found in drinking water supplies, soil, food, and the blood of millions of Americans. Finally, some good news. Fast food giant McDonald's is finally catching up to its competitors in offering plant-based options, test marketing a plant-based burger made with Beyond Meat in a teeny tiny handful of U.S. markets in Texas and California. I'm loving it. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Apple, Google, or Amazon Podcasts. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Tell your hungry children all you know. beyond indeed do you think they get it i hope so we'll see it's impossible i know i know <laughs> well done all right thank you very much desi doy and our producer thanks to my guest today dr leah stokes of uc santa barbara sounds like a fake name doesn't that sound like a marvel <laughs> comic book character anyway thank you dr leah stokes thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and I stay on your public airwaves as long as we can. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me simply at the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Of the great beyond The great beyond